everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today is a very special day. We are talking about one of my favorite movies ever, and I was trying to decide whether to make this one podcast or to dedicate each of the movies to its own podcast. So uh, part of this recording is going to be testing that theory out, but the movie that we are getting into today is the 1999 Stephen Summers' The Mummy. Uh, why, may you ask, that, uh, you know, why now? Why here? First off, why not? Uh, these mummy movies are timeless. Uh, but it's also, for those of you that aren't aware, it is approaching an anniversary for 20 years. Uh, not for The Mummy, but for The Mummy Returns, uh, which came out in 2001. So, uh, actually, next week is the 20-year anniversary of The Mummy Returns, which is another one of my favorite movies. Uh, over time, I have decided that I do like the the first Mummy better than The Mummy Returns, but God, do I love The Mummy Returns. And so the plan is going to be... Uh, we're gonna ha- we'll talk about the mummy in this episode. Uh, hopefully, I'll have an episode out uh, next week sometime around uh, the mummy returns. And then uh, I'm actually going to be out on vacation for a little while the following week for my birthday. So uh, there won't be any recordings during that time, but I am going to also, during the month of May, uh, get out episodes for uh, The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, and also The Scorpion King, because you can't watch The Mummy Returns and not watch The Scorpion King. And uh, I happened to get an insane deal on all four of those movies on 4K last year when, uh, when Amazon was having their sale, so I've got to test out how they look in 4K as well. So I'm just I'm I'm beyond excited. Uh, for those of you that have been fans of this show for a really long time, you know that I uh, <clears throat> I do my best to try and get some sort of mummy reference into as many podcasts as I can. Uh, like I said, this is one of those life changing movies for me, at least uh, one of those uh, age coming of age defining movies. And I, I would say as well, uh, I would include Van Helsing in that list of uh, again, if I would have just recorded this as one episode, uh, because Van Helsing technically technically takes place in that same universe. Stephen Summers did that movie as well, but um, it's, it has nothing to do with the Mummy, so we're not going to include it. So, uh, 1999, what a year. This movie came out May 7th of 1999. I'm trying to even think where I would have been at that time. I was living in Ohio. Uh, I was in, gosh, actually, I, I, I won't say what grade I was in, but let's just say that I was in elementary school during that time. And I remember this movie because, uh, partially because of my cousins. And uh, you know one of them, Cameron. He was on the anime episode. This was... Uh, you know, we, we were Egypt and history loving kids, uh, growing up, all of us were. And I think part of that was because Cameron, his brother, Christian and, and sister Kiki, uh, their dad, my uncle Phil, uh, he, uh, worked for, I think it was TWA at the time, uh, but now works for American airlines. And so he would get free flights and uh, I, we never got them. Obviously, we weren't his kids, but they went on a lot of trips. And there was even one, the what, reason I bring this up is because they went to Egypt one time. And when they came back, they shared all the photos of their travels. And it was just so cool. And we had talked about like, oh, man, just like the mummy. Uh, but more so just because of the old mummy movies and the history of ancient Egypt. Uh, like I said, I when I, growing up, 
my favorite favorite school things uh you know on top of anything anything else and i i really loved school i was i was a huge nerd so like i i really enjoyed everything about school in terms of classes but my favorite things were number one dinosaurs uh number two would have i don't even know if we want to put them in order but dinosaurs space and ancient egypt and as I got older, that ancient Egypt slowly turned into ancient civilizations. But just the the history of mummies, uh, King Tut, and you know all all of that other stuff. There were I just remember so many. You know that you, those times when you're younger, you think back like, oh, <clears throat> there's only certain memories I have of a, of an X age. And, you know, those are usually the most vivid memories. Well, most of those types of memories for me are around Egypt. So, like, I vividly remember being in a IMAX theater at the, like, the History Museum in, in Texas and watching a mummy like a documentary that was one of the IMAX mummy ones there about the the secrets of the tombs and uh you know read what one of my favorite books was the magic tree house the third one the the Egypt book i just it it it's so cool to think about a civilization as old as they were to be able to build those pyramids their intricate embalming procedures their worship uh the way they worshiped the way that they held you know having pharaohs and then the obviously the the uh conversation around slavery in ancient egypt as well and i love that they they tie a little bit of that in this movie uh it just it, it, I mean, I've been talking about it now for five minutes, but it just, it's a very special thing for me. And, uh, so when this movie came out, I was not allowed to see it because it was PG 13 and I was not old enough. So I, you know, I'd seen the trailers for this movie and I was like, God, this is just, this movie looks so good. It looks kind of scary. And I remember, uh, Cameron had seen this movie and his, uh, his parents were a little less strict on the age ratings of films and so I remember he would talk all the time about this movie and how good it was. And I just would be like, man, I wish we could watch it. And I remember specifically there was a a trip we made around that time, I think, when we were young. And back then uh, they were living in uh, St. Louis, I believe. And uh, we went out to their house. Literally all I remember is hanging out with them. Uh, I don't remember like what we did in St. Louis if we went you know, to any – whatever. I, all I remember is being in their basement and – Cam was like, do you guys want to watch The Mummy? And we were like, are you serious? He was like, yeah, and like put The Mummy on. I think it was from like a VHS tape that they had. And because I still, you know, we weren't able to see it. And back then it was a, it was a different time, guys. That was that was during the Wild West when if you hadn't seen a movie, either you had to go out and buy the VHS tape, go to a rental. It wasn't as simple as just Googling the movie, paying a couple dollars and boom, you've got it on your Amazon. It was a lot different. Uh, and I, you know, I'm starting to think that that's going to be the old man for millennials is being like back in my day, we weren't able to stream things whenever we wanted, but, uh, but yeah, so we watched it. I didn't watch the entire thing because I think at one point either I got scared or, uh, we had to leave. But then I do remember there was another time where we watched Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. And that's another one of my all-time favorites just because I love all the Abbott and Costello movies, but that one particularly with Dr. Zoomer 
and uh, the just Abbott and Costello, but just the the idea around the mummy is so fascinating. And I, I go through all of this to explain that this is a really big part of my childhood. Just this idea of fanta- a fantastical land, evil creatures. I mean, who didn't like the Universal monster movies? We talked about Dracula earlier this year. Next year is actually the 90-year anniversary for the mummy. And, um, which is just, is, is crazy for the original mummy that stars Boris Karloff as Imhotep and also as Art of Bay, who in this movie, they're played by two different characters, but, uh, we're going to dive right into it. Safe to say, I am just uh, over the moon that I'm going to get to talk about this series. Honestly, when I first started a podcast, this was one of the things I wanted to talk about was the mummy. So now that I've built this up way, way too high for what I'm, I'm sure some of you probably feel about this movie, let's dive in. So like I said, uh, directed by Steven Summers, uh, he also did The Mummy Returns, he did Van Helsing, uh, there was a couple of other things that he did, but th- this was my jam, and I know I'm going to keep going back to this, but like I'm looking at my dresser or my bookshelf here in the office, and uh, I have the novelizations of these movies, and so I remember just being in the car, reading The Mummy, getting excited about it, because I think I... I had read it before I fully watched it as an older, you know, an older kid. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Brendan Fraser as Rick O'Connell, Rachel Wise as Evelyn Carnahan. I always forget their last names, Carnahan. But so as Evie, uh, John Hanna plays Jonathan. You got Arnold Vosloo as Imhotep. And then Kevin O'Connor plays Benny. I mean, there's so many great characters. Oded Fair plays Ardeth Bay. And then Eric Avari did play Dr. Terrence Bay uh, in the library. And then also a great call out to Patricia Velazquez, who plays Anaxuna Moon, uh, who also is in, and I think I talked about this, in uh, Arrested Development. as the She's the girlfriend of Job for a season or so, which was, you know, I was beyond the moon because I have not seen her in a lot of uh, things. And so she was one of my favorite players in this, in this uh, movie. So for those of you that haven't seen this, I would recommend it highly. All of these mummy movies are available on HBO Max uh, to stream. And I'll tell you this much in 4K, it looked great. Uh, You could definitely see some of the CGI was wearing a little thin. But I watched some of the special features and they were just talking about how they really went balls to the wall on getting good CGI for this film, which to me is really impressive for this type of movie because this came out the same year as The Matrix. And, uh, which kind of, I, I still think holds up well, obviously there's scenes there too, where it's like, eh, you know, the, the CGI, it, it's, it's never going to hold up. There's certain movies where it does like Lord of the Rings did a great job. I think the matrix arguably does the mummy does I'd say 90% of the time, but there were a couple of scenes where the 4k actually made it look a little strange, uh, but not enough to get me mad or take it out of the movie. Uh, and I should have said this at the beginning. This is also an Oscar-nominated movie. Uh, I see it was nominated for one Oscar for Best Sound. So, uh, and funny enough, a, a guy with the last name of Klein uh, is in that that nominee. But that's sad. They only they only you know got it for sound. I could think of a couple of others, but I'll, I'll point this out right now. This movie is sitting at a seven on IMDb from thir- almost four hundred thousand reviews. It's got a meta score of a forty-eight, which is putting it in that yellow range. 
Uh, this is a 10 out of 10 for me. This is, like I said, one of my favorite movies, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, not only is it the magic of Egypt, but it is the magic of this cast working together, uh, the strength of the story, uh, the written story, but then also the use of the sets. The production design is incredible. The music is incredible. Uh, the lore is incredible. So uh, this movie uh, kind of opens up with uh, we get cut, we're following two different storylines. So one of them is Prince Imhotep, uh, and I don't even know if you can call him a prince, but he's like the advisor to um, uh, the Pharaoh way back when. I believe it's it's Ramses the second or Ramses the first, but he's an advisor, and the Pharaoh's mistress, who is Anaxuna Moon. Uh, her and Imhotep have a little secret fling going. They love each other, they're in love, and they sneak off to uh, find those little moments. And uh, the scene that they show, she's completely covered in paint, in fancy body paint. And the pharaoh is doing this specifically because he'll know if anyone touches her because the paint will get messed up. And that was always a sticking point for me of like, come on, dude, you had to touch her shoulder, which he does and marks it. And then the pharaoh's like, oh my, you know, who were you with? And so essentially, uh, because of what he did, because of his love for Anaxuna Moon, and obviously, you know, he was stealing the pharaoh's girl. He gets the Humdai, which is the worst death that an Egyptian uh, can get, apparently. I, I have not done the research on this. I don't know if there's if this is even real, but in this movie, the Humdai is the worst death that you can get. And what it is, is you are your first your your tongue is cut out, and obviously, you know, eventually Actually, no, your organs aren't removed. Your tongue is cut out, and then you are bandaged up alive and put in a coffin alive with scarabs. Just hundreds of scarabs poured in there to eat you alive. And then the coffin is closed, locked. They bury it at the foot of Anubis, and uh, and then that's it. And they put a curse on it, obviously. They put a ton of you know Egyptian curses on it. And so the whole situation is also a Noxuna Moon uh, kills herself because she can't. She says uh, essentially, you know, if I, if he can't have me, no one can. Basically, like this is my body, and uh, kills herself. So they're both dead. And then time goes on, and we we fast forward to the 1920s, and Rick O'Connell played brilliantly by Brendan Fraser. Him and his buddy Benny are uh, they're sort of the old British army back in the day of, you know, fight kind of like a Lawrence of Arabia type situation. And, uh, they're fighting this giant battle. They're actually outside of the city of the dead where, uh, Imhotep is buried called Hamanoptera. And, uh, as they're fighting the the battle is turning, Benny turns tail and runs. And we get, a, I love Benny because he is able to portray how, like bad of a person he is so quickly like we can just see immediately that he is a coward he is a fool and he's just going to do whatever he can to make it you know to make it out alive and so while this battle is going on up on the cliffs art of bay part of the magi is kind of talking with his group of people and so i guess for thousands of years the magi have been protecting oh and i'm seeing this here now it's it's pharaoh seti the first not ramses but um the magi have been protecting hamanatra so that nobody goes in and awakens the mummy because due to the the severity of his death because of the hamdai curse 
if he is brought back to life, he will spread like a plague on Egypt. And I love this idea because as you watch it, and especially if you're watching it as a younger kid like I did, uh, I my favorite character was always, especially after Mummy Returns, was always Art of Bay because he's just such a badass. And him and Rick O'Connell too, really. Uh, they just they're so good at fighting. They're awesome. And as you watch this movie a little closer, maybe on a second or third or sixteenth viewing, you think, oh well, actually Art of Bay, he's kind of the bad a, a bad guy in a way because you know Brendan Fraser, Rachel Wise, they're, they're all trying to. Uh, and, and I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but they, they, they make him out sort of to be a bad guy. But at the end of the day, it's Rachel, it's Eva, Evie and Rick and Jonathan and all the other Americans who go to Hamanoptra, they're technically the bad guys of the movie. And it never really dawned on me until multiple viewings of it. And I love that, that there's just so many ways to watch this movie. And so they, uh, you know, he's being chased. Rick is into the city and it's, it's not, it's, I mean, it's a set, so it's not that big of a city, but he gets to some spot and it, it, eventually, you know, we find out it's that Anubis statue and it's half buried in the sand. And, uh, the people who are chasing after him leave, they flee. They're like, oh man, we, and, and so you start going, oh, interesting. And he kind of wanders out. He's the only guy left alive. He wanders out into the desert and, you know, the Magi are like, are we going to kill him? And Artis says, let the desert kill him. Like, he's not going to make it back alive. Well, guess what he does? And so we then get into our second story. And and I'll point out, too, when he's there, there's a giant spooky face of Imhotep in the sand. That's very creepy. Uh, very creepy music, too. This is actually, a legit, if you're watching this and really... I hate to say like really putting your energy into it to try and watch it, but I'm just, you know, I was scared and I've seen this movie so many times. And even on this most recent viewing, I was creeped out in this movie. Like I love how creepy it feels. And so we, we, we move ahead. I think it, it's like three, three or six years later, something like that. And we follow now our new main character, who's Evelyn. And she is a librarian at the Egyptian uh, like library, basically, where Dr. Bay, played by Eric Avari, is uh, kind of the headmaster there. And we see that she's very quickly, and it, it, like I said, every character in this movie, it's, it's so cool how we know exactly what kind of character there are in very few scenes. Like, you know what Benny's about, you know what Evie's about, Jonathan, Rick, all of them. And so we quickly find out that Evie is very clumsy, very smart, very headstrong, uh, and also kind of a little, she's got a little bit of a chip on her shoulder. She has something to prove and, uh, mostly to the Bembridge scholars. And that is one of my favorite lines in this movie, because I, I, uh, I used to say that line all the time when she says, take that Bembridge scholars, because they reject, they've rejected her from Bembridge or whatever the hell that is, uh, whatever school that is, she's been rejected. She's trying to become a Egyptologist or just an archaeologist, someone who studies the history. And they've rejected her because while her resume is very impressive, she has no field experience. And so I love that because it's like, oh, you're about to get some serious field experience. Don't you worry, Evie. And uh, so we find out, you know, she's very clumsy. She knocks over all of the bookshelves, which honestly, uh, when Dr. Bay comes out and, and criticizes her, I thought he was being kind of kind because I would have just been like, all right, I think I'm done being a librarian forever. Like this, that's it. I'm done. 
and uh, we but then we quickly meet her brother Jonathan, who is a sort of rapscallion, very uh, goes where the money is. He's always interested in money. He's always looking for that next get rich quick scheme. But that ends up being to their fortune because he actually, according to him, won out of a card game. I think it actually ended up being that he pickpocketed Rick, but he has a key, and for. I guess, you know, as a viewer, you would know what this key is for. But if you don't, you know, this key, this is a very sacred and special key. And Evie looks at it and does some things to it and it opens up to where it is this key. And inside of it is a map. And it is a map to uh, to Hominoptera, the city of the dead. And, you know, they're starting to get the stars in their eyes for various reasons, right? Jonathan's thinking this place is going to have a ton of treasure and Evie is thinking, here's my field experience. But not only that, obviously, you know, she loves this stuff. But they don't know how to get there because Dr. Bay burns the map. And I loved it because my wife and I were watching this and I had forgotten about this. She's like, he's a bad guy, isn't he? And I was like, I'm pretty sure he is. He's about to burn this map. But then I was like, wait, wait, wait. No, it's not that he's a bad guy, guys. He's a good guy. He's trying to protect them because he's also one of the Magi. And so, you know, we find that out a little bit later, but it's nice to know as you're watching because you can slowly see him moving the map over to this candle. And if you weren't, if you hadn't seen the movie before, you really wouldn't be able to tell. But, uh, and I'm not even putting a spoilers on this one because guys, this movie is uh, 21 years old at this point or uh, no, 22 years old. Wow. But that's wild. So from here, uh, they need to find a way to get to Hominoptera. And so she's trying to ask Jonathan, like, hey, do you remember who it was you got the map from? And so they end up at this prison where, and we'll see if he's on this main thing here. He might be, he might, yeah, uh, his name is God Hassan, uh, played by Omid uh, Dajili, or Dajalili. And he is actually, he was pretty funny. He's this really annoying, cantankerous guy. Again, all he cares about is money, women, uh, and he's just absolutely disgusting. And uh, Rick is about to get executed for having a very good time, as he describes. And uh, Evie needs to keep him because, you know, they go down there, they talk with him. He says, yeah, I know the way to Hominoptera, uh, but you want to know, get me out of here. And so she's like, how much will you, can I pay you so that you don't execute him? And he's like, you know, blah, 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 this isn't enough. And eventually she says that he knows the way to Hominoptera. And if, if he lets her go, him go, he can be a part of the team or he'll get 20% or 25%, something like that. We know he's going to die anyway. Like it doesn't matter. Tell him he'll get the whole thing. But, uh, so he says done fine. So we cut him loose and now the squad has been created. So we've got, uh, Hassan, Rick, Evie, Jonathan are all tag teaming. And so they, they get, they, uh, charter a boat and uh are kind of going down i would imagine going down the nile i don't they don't i don't think they ever you know expressly say where they're going but uh we find out on the boat that there's another group of people that are also going to hominoptera and it is a group of americans mr henderson mr daniels and mr burns along with a uh egyptologist and he's not showing on this main set but he is the father and uh bad guy at the same time of where is he mr burns yeah uh yeah i guess they're not showing him on here oh jo- sorry jonathan hyde that's got to be who it is yep jonathan hyde yeah that's funny he's playing dr alan chamberlain and uh funny that his name's alan because alan Parrish from jumanji he's the dad in jumanji but 
they're also on an expedition and they are being taken by an unknown guide and we we quickly find out that the guide is Benny and so Benny has apparently been taking people to Hamanoptera only for them to die uh, we, we quickly see that he's more about kind of just having them pay him and then he leads them to their doom and he makes his money and he says something like, you know, these guys, these Americans, they're smart. Uh, they've only paid me half now and they'll pay me half when we get back. So I have to actually like try. And while this is all going on, um, the Magi are invading the boat. They sneak onto the boat to try and kill everybody and to get the key back because they don't want anyone to come to Hamanatra. And again, you're, you're watching this going, these are the bad guys, right? They're all dressed in black. They're killing people. They're setting things on fire. But, you know, obviously question their motives, certainly, but or question the way that they're doing it, but the why behind it, it they're the good guys, right? Like, you shouldn't be going to Hamanatra. And I loved throughout all of this that Rick's response to anything around it is like, there's evil there. Like, he recognizes that this is an evil place, and uh, he's got so many guns and weapons. I love it. And so these guys are going. We get a great shootout on the boat, uh, get some great bits there, and uh, everyone ends up leaving and jumping off the boat. And so they go their separate ways. We get one of the, we actually get some great lines. I, I think almost everything that Brendan Fraser does in this specific film is hilarious and badass at the same time. And he says, uh, you know, they're, they're on opposite sides of this river. And Benny has all the horses. And he's like, hey, O'Connell, looks like I've got all the horses. And he's like, hey, Benny, looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. And then Benny gets super mad, blah, blah, blah. But um, they, they end up getting some candles, candles, wow, uh, camels. And they race to Hamanoptera. And same thing, you know, the, the Magi are there watching. They are, you know, they're about to strike. Like we're, uh, he even, Arda even says like, this one is strong. Like he's coming back, Rick O'Connell. And so they have to wait until the sun rises at this perfect spot. And once it does, the city shows itself. They all race their way in. Evie wins. She's the first one to arrive, which is great. And they both kind of claim different areas and start digging. And it's funny because uh, Rick's group is the four of them. And Benny's group is like all of those Americans plus probably 50 diggers and other sort of excavators from the town. And so they're all going at it. And, and eventually what ends up happening is, you know, they dig into this tunnel, they find a secret way in, and they're trying to get underneath this Anubis statue. That's what Evie thinks is where the right spot is. And those people that from the other team find their way there too. And so Evie's like, well, hang on a minute. I think we can go find another place to dig. And so they go even deeper to where they're now completely underneath the, the statue. And... Um, oh, it's just so cool. You know, they're working under there and they, they end up eventually cracking it open and, and the mummy comes out, the, the tomb, the sarcophagus, and it's got the key uh, s- slot. And, you know, you're again, you're, you're getting so excited. You're into this movie. But at the same time, you're like, don't open it. Do not open it. And of course, uh, I don't think it's, yeah, no, no, it's not Evie that opens it. I'm pretty sure it's Jonathan that opens it. And at the same time, the Americans find their own treasure, which is in a separate spot. So just the lengths that the 
Uh, and so is the difference between being underneath the statue and being at the foot of the statue. So the sarcophagus is buried inside of it. And then in another section of the statue is this box, this chest. And inside of the chest are, I was going to call them homonoptic jars, but they're called, uh, they're just, they're the jars that Egyptians would put each of the, the, uh, like the intestines, the brain, and they're all sitting in here, but there's an inscription on the box that says, basically, whomsoever opens this box will die a most horrible death, essentially in reincarnating Imhotep. And, you know, of course, they don't care. And also inside this box, though, is the Black Book of the Dead. And uh, just, you know, it's got the key on the front of it that to open it. It just looks so cool. And, of course, they open it. And so we now know all four of those people are destined to die because that's what the curse says is that they will all be consumed in order for Imhotep to come back. So, of course, at that exact same time, uh, you know, the two, the sarcophagus is open and by now the Magi have already tried to attack once and they're like, you can't stay here. You need to leave. And so everyone was obviously like, oh, well, we need to go back to dig. It's like, no. And so, yup, they, they, you know, they bring Imhotep back to life and all of a sudden the plagues start coming. Uh, those guys start getting killed off. And at the same time, Evie's trying to figure out, well, the, the inscriptions from the Bembridge scholars, they said that under the tomb of Anu, under the statue of Anubis was the book of life, which is the book of the gold book. And it's not the gold book. It's this other book. And so she's like, oh, well, you know, if it's under that, then it's going to be under the, the statue of Horus. Take that Bembridge scholars. And that that's also though far after there's some things that happen in this. Obviously the mummy thinks that Evie is a Noxuna moon. Uh, they, just so cool just awesome like i said i mean i I, uh, i just get lost in it i mean there's so much sand who doesn't love sand besides anakin skywalker and uh so they they do realize no like we need to leave right now and so they leave and they head back into the city and while they're there more plagues start happening so it starts raining fire uh the water turns red with blood and uh you know there's perpetual darkness there's an eclipse so they know that imhotep is close and so they're trying to not only protect evie but they're also protecting these americans because until he consumes them he is vulnerable and eventually though of course you know he consumes them all and so they race back he captures evie too and they race back to the to hominoptera and uh to try and find this other book which they do end up getting obviously you know it all gets wrapped up in a nice bow by the end of it but even that whole battle there's this whole idea that imhotep constantly talks about called death is only the beginning and it really is true because he you know he dies he comes back by the end of this movie he dies and then he comes back in the next movie and it's very fluid i mean we don't even get to see a noxuna moon except for her as a mummy except in the very beginning when i thought back i thought there was way more noxuna moon in this one but it's actually in mummy returns and and we'll get to that there's some uh, really great quotable lines in in mummy returns for sure but there's just like i said it's really hard to explain there's a there's a magic about this movie this this is the perfect summer blockbuster movie i just i can imagine being if i'd have been old enough to see this movie in theaters 
I would have lost my mind. I mean, the 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 flying over the, the you know you don't really see the pyramids that much, but the flying, the sand, the, the CGI again. Nineteen ninety nine. They've got this giant sand wall with the pharaoh's mouth. That's open, not the pharaoh, Imhotep's mouth opening up. And uh, we also get really cool mummies that fight at the end. You've got the priest mummies that uh, Rick kind of deals with very fast. But then you also get the uh, warrior mummies who like crawl across the walls. And eventually Jonathan commands them and has them fight Imhotep. Uh, and, and the best part about this is, is uh, Benny. He is uh he's like the servant now of imhotep because he didn't want to die and he's like pulling out his necklace and saying little chants from all of the different religions until it gets to he he holds up the star of david and starts talking uh he says something in jewish that doesn't say what it is but it's probably like protect me and keep me safe sort of thing and he says the language of the slaves i may have use for you and uh, I just thought it was interesting because, uh, you know, again, you don't really hear about that at all the rest of the movie. Uh, but then, yeah, he basically becomes kind of a little slave to uh, Imhotep doing whatever he wants to try and get the rest of these jars. But by the end of it, he tries to escape. We obviously find a giant treasure trove in the bottom of this pyramid. And he's getting a bunch of treasure out, but eventually he grabs too much like they always do. And it causes the whole place to collapse and he dies inside, but not before the good guys get to ride off into the sunset with the treasure. And they don't even realize that they have the treasure, which is so brilliant and plays so well into the next movie. Uh, and, and, and so for anyone who, who, uh, at least I'm hoping if anyone out there is not a fan of the mummy returns, I understand why, but that's, I I love that movie. So I can't wait to talk about that one and hopefully change some minds and hearts. But if you have not seen this mummy movie, do yourself a favor this summer, uh, and watch it because Rachel Wise just kills it. I mean, everyone's bringing their A game and you can tell it's just a fun, fast paced action adventure that I've come to want from Hollywood, but I feel like we just don't get movies like this anymore where it's so wide scoping. It felt a lot like a, you know, epic in that sense, like Lord of the Rings or kind of an Avengers level movie. I mean, just with the sets, it's just gorgeous. So, um, so yes, I love it. 10 out of 10, one of my favorite movies ever. Let me know if you agree with this assessment. Uh, if you don't, I would love to hear why. Uh, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong though, because like I said, it seems like I'm probably one of the few that gives it a 10 versus everyone else kind of around that seven range. But for comics and cinema, that's where we're going to wrap it up. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the mummy as much as me and we'll catch you next time as we're talking about the mummy returns. (laughs) 